Welcome to the 46th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we will be doing a full breakdown of UFC 267, and after that we will be doing a preview of UFC 268. And for UFC 267, we will talk about all the fights off the main card, and for 268, we're going to look at just about every fight on the card. So just a little bit of info on that before we get started. And we are obviously going to start right off at the main event of Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira. Now, first of all, you have to feel good for Glover Teixeira for the performance that he put on. Got a submission victory in the second round to become the light heavyweight champion at the age of 42. So for anyone who has been watching the UFC for a long time, they know Glover Teixeira, and this is a tremendous victory for him. He came out, he performed very well, he controlled the whole first round with some very nice grappling. In the second round, he landed a big shot and kind of looked like he hurt Jan a little bit, and eventually got a takedown, took the back, and choked out Jan Blachowicz. So much respect for what Glover Teixeira has been able to do throughout his UFC career. And to finally get that belt is a big win for him. And for Jan, I was really confused by his performance. I think this, as as impressive as Glover Teixeira's victory was, the most interesting aspect of this fight was Jan Blachowicz's performance, in my opinion, and that's because he just didn't look like himself out there. In his post-fight, excuse me, in his post-fight press conference, he said he left the legendary Polish power in his hotel room. It's kind of what it looked like. I mean, in the first round, he got taken down. That happens, but he didn't really look to get up at all. He looked content to stay in guard, and that could have been a strategic choice. It could have been many different things. But um, he, he was on his back the whole first round. And then in the second round, his striking, it just seemed off. It didn't look like he came in with the, the intentions that he usually has coming into a fight. Um, if you look at the Dominic Reyes fight, for example, he lands a lot of big damaging shots. Um, he did not do that in this fight. And he was landing, though. It looked like he was throwing a lot of shots at 75% and just trying to touch Glover. And he lost some of those exchanges because Glover was Glover was the guy throwing hooks at 100%. Um, but it was very very interesting performance from Jan Blachowicz. He didn't, I don't think he threw a single kick to the body, which is a strike that he is tremendous at. It's one of my favorite parts of his game, and he didn't use that at all. I don't know if he was afraid it was going to get caught and led to a t- and um, and result in a takedown. That's a possibility, but uh, he didn't try it even once. And as Dominic Reyes, those kicks are very effective, especially when Jan is using them at a high level. So, I was really interested, or really interested in the performance by Jan Blahovich here. Or, or lack thereof, and I'm going to be really interested to see his fights moving forward. Because when, when we have fights like this, it's, it's one of two things is going to happen. Jan Blachowicz is either, either going to bounce back and, and get the belt back eventually, or he's going to you know go on a losing streak here. And, and that hurts to say, and I don't like particularly being critical of fighters, um, if you watch this podcast regularly, you know that usually I try to point out positives. I usually don't like to dwell on the negatives, specifically in fighter performances and what they did in the octagon. Um, but this was this is a different case here where I don't think Jan has anything has lost anything physically, where he's not going to be able to go and put on better performances in the future. I think this is probably a one-time deal and hopefully he can get back on track because if he can, um, Jan Blachowicz being at the top of that 205-pound division is very good for that division and good for the UFC. So I hope he can get back there. Regardless, um, both Jan and Glover are both 
going to have very interesting futures moving forward. For Glover, it's pretty obvious what he's going to do next. We don't know when that is going to be. He said May. Um, it looked like Yuri was a little apprehensive to that when uh, Glover said that in the post-fight um, Octagon interview. It looked like Yuri wanted something a little earlier, but um, regardless of the timetable, Glover is likely going to take on Yuri Prohoshka, and that's going to be a really, really interesting fight because I think already, I think people are already overlooking Glover Teixeira, and, you know, I will be the first to admit that I overlook Glover coming into this fight. Um, I said that he was probably, that Jan was probably going to win, and that Glover would likely retire afterwards, but we're in a very different situation now, and... For Glover, you know, he's going to have to fight Yuri, and Yuri's a tremendous fighter, and that's going to be a tough fight for him, but um, if he can get a win there, you know, Glover is going to be in a really good spot in this division. And then for Jan, he has several directions that he could go. I don't think we're going to see Jan versus Glover. I don't think we're going to see the rematch right now, maybe eventually, but I don't think we're going to see that fight right now. Um, you know, that fight wasn't particularly competitive and, you know, Jan only has one title defense. So that's not really something that plays in his favor in terms of getting a rematch. So I think we're going to see Glover defend against Yuri and then Jan moving forward. He's got a lot of interesting options. If you look at the heavyweight rankings, there's a lot of guys at the top uh, echelon of this division that are unbooked. You've got um, Yuri is going to fight for the belt, like I just said, but then you've got Rochik, Smith, Santos, Reyes, and Ankalev, who are all unbooked as of right now. So Jan really has a lot of options moving forward, and that's not even taking into consideration Paulo Costa moving up to 205. Um, if Paulo moves up, that'll leave even more options on the table for Jan Blahovic. And if I had to pick a fight for Jan, I would really like to see that Paulo Costa fight. That's a fight that I would be, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense in terms of rankings and where guys are at in, the, in their careers. Because I, I don't like the idea of Costa moving to 205 and then having to take on a former champ. However, um, just looking stylistically at that fight, I think that would be a tremendous fight. And that's why I'm interested in that fight. But if you wanted to look at something that makes a little bit more sense in terms of rankings and career trajectory, I think Anthony Smith and Alexander Rochick both make a lot of sense for Jan moving forward. I think you can go with either of those names and it's going to make a lot of sense. So Anthony Smith, Alexander Rochick, either one 50-50 doesn't really make a difference to me. And then if you want to get crazy with it, if Paulo Costa moves up to 205, I think that would be a great fight. So um, that's really all I had on the Jan and Glover fight. So now we're going to move on to the Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen fight. And if you watched last week, you would know that this is the fight I was most interested in out of the whole card. I mean, the, the bantamweight division right now is in a really, really good place. And these type of fights, Piotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen, Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, Aldo versus Font, there's a lot of these fights that can be made moving forward. And we're going to see a lot more fights, I don't want to say like this, but similar to this to where um, two very high-level guys are going to go in there and strike with each other. I don't know if we're going to see it on the same level again, but the bantamweight division is in a very good spot. And... If there is one thing we learned from this fight, it's not to overlook Piotr Jan. Because Piotr Jan proved once again that he is one of the best fighters in the world. And I'm talking top five, top three, pound for pound. Um, if you just if you take out um, physical ability and just look at pure intelligence when it comes to fighting Piotr Jan is top level in that he 
has tremendous reads and the way that he can improve as the fight progresses is very, very impressive. Um, the commentators spoke on this a lot during the fight. So I don't want to go too in-depth because if you watch the fight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the improvements that you see from Piotr Jan going from the first round to the second round and on is one of the best. He's probably the best at that out there. And I don't think it's because he is a slow starter. I think it's because he is uh, letting his opponent strike so he can get reads and and he's letting his opponent's wear themselves out because Piotr Jan also has tremendous cardio if you look at the Aljamain Sterling fight Piotr Jan did not throw many strikes in that first round or that second round and then he really picked it up in the third and fourth round and if you look at the Sanhagen fight as well the first round Piotr Jan did not throw much and then he picked up the volume uh, later in the fight and when you take his intelligence and you pair that with his abilities inside the octagon he looks, I don't want to say unbeatable because no one is unbeatable, but Piotr, Lan, Piotr Jan looks as close to it as you can get. I mean, the only thing that we didn't see was offensive grappling, but we saw a lot of high-level defensive grappling from Piotr Jan. And when you have his striking abilities, you don't necessarily need to be a tremendous offensive grappler. But his speed is off the charts. His, you know... His power is off the charts, and that plays into his game plan a lot. If you look at the way he fights, you know, he doesn't have to land a lot of shots to really hurt guys. And it's not that he has Nganu-esque one-punch power, but it looks like every punch he lands physically hurts his opponent. And to pair with that ability... Every time you make a small, small mistake, you don't, ha- you don't have to make a big error, but every time you make a small mistake or misjudgment, Piotr Jan punishes you by landing, you know, nothing more than a, a straight right, really, or a hook, and it can change the way the fight goes. And if you look at the Aljamain Sterling fight specifically, um, Aljamain Sterling would have won the first round uh, if... Piotr Jan doesn't land that one punch that knocks him down. Um, so that's kind of a testament to what I was just speaking on. And when you pair that with his cardio, when you pair that with his defensive grappling, and the defensive grappling in the Elgermain Sterling fight was one thing because he stopped a lot of takedowns, but I think we can all agree that Elgermain Sterling was very clearly gassed in that fight. So. When Elgermain Sterling is shooting desperation takedowns, you know, on a quarter of a gas tank, you know, it, it those types of moments aren't the ones that stand out to me in terms of having great defensive grappling. Because when someone's tired, you know, their ability to land a takedown probably gets cut in half at least. But in this fight, Corey Sandhagen, who isn't the best wrestler, which you know, kind of almost played into his favor here because he he was able to catch Piotr Jan off guard. I mean, I can't imagine that Jan was preparing to stop takedowns at all for this fight. But, um, of course, Sanhagen got deep. He slipped a couple punches, got to the legs, and, you know, Corey Sanhagen did take down Piotr Jan a couple times. A couple times, Piotr Jan had some really good scrambles to get out of those situations. He had some really nice sprawls to get out of some situations. So even though Corey Sanhagen, Corey Sanhagen had some success in the grappling department, it was never anything um, wildly effective in terms of damage or control because of how good of a defensive grappler Piotr Jan is. So I think we saw the two best guys in there on Saturday. And with all the credit that I just gave Piotr Jan, the one thing is he was fighting Corey Sandhagen, and Corey Sandhagen was able to win one round, and he was able to almost win two other rounds, right? I think the fight being scored 49-46 is a good call. I think 47 or 48-47 for Jan is also a good scorecard. Um but I had it 49 for Jan. So I think that um, 
But with that being said, two of those rounds for Jan were very, very close rounds, right? Um, you're, you're right giving them to Jan, but Corey, Sang- so Corey Sanhagen had some moments in, um, I believe that was the second round and the fifth round. If I, yeah, it was. But um, Corey Sanhagen had some moments, um, more so in the fifth round than the second round. But, um, yeah, for Corey, Sanhagen, for Corey Sanhagen to win a round and keep two rounds as close as he was able to keep them, I don't know if there is another bantamweight on the planet who would have been able to do that. Um, and that comes off his striking ability, um, the grappling that he showed, and the chin that he showed, I think a lot of guys get knocked down um, from some of those strikes that Piotr Jan landed. Of course, Dan Hagen got knocked down once, obviously. Um, but a lot of guys get knocked down a lot more, if you get what I'm saying. The the spinning back fist to the hook, the left hook, is a was a wild combo, and just about everybody in the division falls from that combo. Um, but a lot of other times, just the straight right that we saw Aljamain Sterling get knocked down with didn't knock down Corey Sanhagen. Um, so I think the the chin and the volume of Corey Sanhagen was very impressive, and I'm I think almost his stock might have rose. And I don't know if there's another fighter who lost two fights in a row and saw their stock rise. But um, Corey Sanhagen might have done that with a close fight against Dillashaw and a, another great fight against Piotr Jan. So um, credit to both guys for a litany of reasons because this was a tremendous fight and they both showed a high-level skill set in there. So what are we going to do now? We're obviously going to talk about what is next for both of these guys. And for Piotr Jan, this is ridiculously clear we're going to see Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan do I have to go into more detail I will but um we have to see these belts unified um especially when a lot of people believe that the interim champion is the best fighter in the weight class um I don't think there's any doubt that these two fight next I think if Aljamain if if Piotr Jan has another fight before he fights Aljamain Sterling, we're going to see Aljamain Sterling stripped. So we're either going to see this fight or Aljamain Sterling is going to get stripped of his belt. So um, if they do decide to strip Aljamain, we're going to see Jan versus Dillashaw. So um, those two things in mind, you know, it's either Sterling or Sterling's going to get stripped and Jan will get promoted. So one of the two is going to take place, and um, I imagine it's going to be the Aljamain Sterling because he was targeting a fall return. He got pushed back a little bit, but now I imagine if they try to book this fight for February, March, April, I imagine those are all going to be good time frames, and Aljamain should be ready to return because um, it sounds like it was going to be close for him to fight last night, but obviously he was pulled because he couldn't get clearance. So um, if they were willing to book that fight, I imagine that it was close, that Aljamain Sterling was close to being able to return. So um, by the time Jan recovers from that and gets another training camp in, um, they should both have time for a training camp and a fight. So I don't think it will be an issue with Aljamain's injury to get this fight booked. And then for Corey Sandhagen, Corey is in a really interesting spot. Um, Corey Sanhagen right now, um, like I just said, he might be the second best bantamweight on the planet. He might be the third. He might be the fourth, right? Um, I probably would go, I would probably say he's the second best bantamweight on the planet behind Piotr Jan based off what we saw last night. This fight with TJ Dillashaw was incredibly close and I think he won that. I know he lost to Aljamain Sterling. However, I think Aljamain Sterling is possibly the worst possible stylistic matchup for Corey Sandhagen. So I'm not going to necessarily hold that against him too much. But what is next for Corey Sandhagen? I like him fighting the winner of Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. I will double check the date on that. But that is coming up very soon, I believe. December 4th. So we got him about a month, a little bit more than a month, a month and a week, 
so five weeks. Nice, nice math there. But um, I don't, I don't want to see him fight anyone outside of the top five. That would leave you with Marab, and I think Marab is um, a very talented guy. But I, I'm just not ready to throw him in there. I don't think he, I don't think he should be fighting inside the top um, three yet. I think we're going to see Font versus Aldo. I think the winner should take on Sandhagen, and the loser should t- loser, excuse me, should take on Marab. Either way, no matter who wins, I think it makes equal sense. Assuming, um, yeah, we're not even gonna we're not even going to go down that path. Um, Rob Font, Jose Aldo, winner fights Sandhagen, loser fights Marab. Um, pretty easy there. And I think there's a pretty big drop-off after Marab in the rankings as well. So I'm not even sure that you, you would even consider anything outside of that top eight. Um, and I said eight because Cody Garbrandt is at seven, and he is moving down to 125. And that is the one problem that I have with the rankings, right? Why do we need Corey, or excuse me, why do we need Cody Garbrandt ranked? at bantamweight right now it just makes the rankings more confusing he's moving down to 125 we don't need to see him in the um 135 pound rankings it just doesn't make any sense um that's a little side note and a little tangent there but now we are going to move on to islam makhlchev versus dan hooker and great performance by islam makhlchev right um this is what we were expecting against Tiago Moises, right? Um, the one criticism that I had in that Moises fight was, hey, you know, um, you got to go out there and dominate and dominate early because that is the hype that has been built up around you. Um, and he went in there in this fight and did exactly that, especially against Dan Hooker, who Dan Hooker is tremendous. But if you were to build a fighter to go out there and beat Dan Hooker, you would probably pick someone with Islam Makhlchev's skill set. So this was a very promising stylistic matchup for Islam Makhlchev, and it is someone who signed to fight you on a month's notice. So um, you get, you have, if you're Islam, you have to go out there and perform, and he did just that. So um, this is kind of what I expected to happen. Um, I thought Dan Hooker would, would maybe make it a little bit closer, um, but regardless... Um, Islam Makhlchev did 100% exactly what he needed to do, so credit to him for that. Now, on Dan Hooker's side, uh, this does not make me think anything less of Dan Hooker as a fighter. Most guys don't step foot in octagon, right? A month's notice taking on Islam Makhlchev, most guys won't take on Islam Makhlchev on four months' notice. So to do it on a month coming off a fight is truly tremendous, so credit to Dan Hooker. And he, I'm not really sure what the tap situation was like. I don't think Dan Hooker tapped. Um, he might have yelled. I, I'm going to be 100% honest. I was watching this on mute. So um, I wasn't listening to what happened. I just saw what happened. But I, I think he gave out a verbal um, yell, and the ref took that as a verbal tap. I think I'm not complaining about this stoppage at all. But what I am trying to say is that Dan Hooker is a warrior. And he proved that in there by not even tapping. So, credit to Dan Hooker. And I don't think this... Uh, this is a similar situation to Corey Sanhagen, where despite the loss, I don't think Dan Hooker's stock goes down at all because this is kind of what people were expecting, unfortunately. And now, we are left with a really interesting situation at 155 pounds in terms of title contenders and you know, you know, who is going to fight next for the title? We know it's Dustin Poirier. I'm talking after that. And then who is going to get matched up? All very interesting things. And we're going to kind of dive in headfirst into matchmaking at 155 pounds in here in, in for a minute here. Now, you've got Oliveira versus Poirier, right? The other big fight is Gaethje versus Chandler. So, um, and then the next... The two highest-ranked contenders, we've got Benil Daryush and Islam Makhlchev. Now, the one interesting thing here is that three of these guys are Ali Abdelaziz's clients. Now, that being Justin Gaethje, Benil Daryush, and Islam Makhlchev. And usually, 
we don't see these guys booked up against each other, but I don't know if we can avoid it at this point, right? Um, obviously, Habib and Gaethje are both um, Ali Abdelaziz clients, but that's for a title, so it's a little bit of a different situation. Um, I can't remember the last time two Ali high-level Ali clients have fought each other, um, but I think, um, outside of a title that is, but I think they're going to have to in this situation, right? We've got Poirier versus Oliveira. Now, no matter who wins, assuming that nothing funky happens, we're going to see a contender next. I don't imagine a rematch situation here. Um, then that leaves us. the We're going to have the winner of Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. That is taking place on Saturday. Now, if Justin Gaethje wins, you're going to have a really hard time not giving Justin Gaethje the next title shot. And that is, you know, when your last loss is to Habib. And then prior to that, your last loss was a while ago. He went on a run, earned the title shot, lost to Habib. Now, if you step in there and knock out Michael Chandler, and you would have a new champ in there, either Oliveira or Poirier, Justin Gaethje probably deserved that shot. Um, outside of that, you've got Islam Makhlchev and Benil Daryush. I think you need to match these guys up, and the winner gets a title shot. Um, being, you know, um, assuming that, you know, the timing works out. So basically what I'm saying is you get Oliveira versus Poirier, and then Gaethje takes on the winner of that if he wins. And then Benil Daryush, Islam Makhlchev, winner of that, gets a title shot. So we're pretty much three title shots down the line here. Um, a little bit aggressive, but still. If Michael Chandler wins, however, I think the situation changes a lot. Because I don't think we get Michael Chandler a title shot if he beats Justin Gaethje. So, you know, I think we're going to have to wait and play this one by ear. But for right now, the top five... Um, the only unmatched guys are Benil Daryush and Islam Akhlachev, and I think these guys need to fight. I think that fight makes sense. I don't care if they're both elite clients. I think the fight has to be made. And then moving on, what is next for Dan Hooker? Dan Hooker is in a really interesting spot because we're probably not going to see a Dan Hooker fight for a while. Um, not because Dan Hooker is unwilling, but he just got a big payday, right? He tweeted out a picture of him wiping up tears with money, right? So Dan Hooker just got paid. He just fought two times in one month. And with the New Zealand quarantine situation, he's he's got to go through a long process to get back home to see his family. So um, let Dan Hooker go through that process. Let him go home. Let him see his family. Let him see his wife. Let him see his kids. Um, I assume it's his wife. I don't know Dan Hooker's. Uh, relationship situation, but I know he has a woman at home, and I know he has, I believe, a daughter. Let him go see um, his family. Let him do that. Um, give him time. Fortunately for Dan Hooker, there are some other fighters who need time before they want to fight. Being Tony Ferguson needs some time. Um, he said he, Dana said something about him. I believe it was Dana. I saw the headline. I didn't get to read the article because I was busy when I saw it, but um, Tony Ferguson apparently isn't ready to fight right now, but he's going to fight again. So give Dan Hooker, give Tony Ferguson some time off. Um, let him fight later in 2022, end of first quarter. Second quarter doesn't make a difference. Um, and then who else needs time? Rafael Dos Anjos needs time. He got injured, had to pull out of this fight. So he needs time to recover. RDA and Dan Hooker makes a lot of sense in my opinion. Moving on, Conor McGregor needs some time. You know, he's a he, uh, pretty bad injury, probably not going to fight until 2022. So, Conor McGregor needs time. And I don't know about you, but Dan Hooker and Conor McGregor would be a hilarious buildup. Um, so, it would make sense for Conor so he could get back into some prime Conor trash talk. And it, it would be against someone who was willing to exchange some verbal bars with him. And, you know, that fight would also be interesting because Dan Hooker gets into wars. We saw it with Paul Felder. We saw it with Dustin Poirier, right? 
and right now Dan Hooker isn't on the same level as the Poiriers of the world. Even though he was in a close fight with Poirier, Poirier has looked tremendous in both the Conor fights. Um, so I think Dan Hooker makes a lot of sense for Conor McGregor if he were return. And don't forget, Dan Hooker has also been called out by Nate Diaz previously. I don't necessarily think now's the time for that fight, just because... We're so close to seeing Diaz versus Luke A. I think they got to push forward with that fight. But if anything falls through with Dan Hooker and, or excuse me, with Nate Diaz and Vicente Luque, I think Dan Hooker would have some options there. So Dan Hooker is in a interesting spot. Sometimes I say, you know, you're in a really interesting spot. And it's because, you know, there aren't many options or you don't really have a clear thing to do next. Dan Hooker is in an interesting spot and those things are true he doesn't necessarily have one clear option for him moving forward however he's got a lot of very very interesting options whether it be tony whether it be rda whether it be connor whether it be nate um a lot of positives for dan hooker and even if he takes time off and he faces a young and -and up-and-comer whether that be brad riddell um rafael fazid they're fighting so we got to get a winner there whether it be Armin, who, Armin Tzuzukian, who he has had beef with in the past. So Dan Hooker's in a really interesting spot. And when I threw out the young prospects, that's assuming they work their way up to Dan Hooker, right? That's assuming they get ranked in the top 10, top 7 of that division. So Dan Hooker is going to um, have some very interesting options moving forward. And the UFC does owe him one, right? The UFC paid him good, but they owe him one in terms of who and when he wants to fight somebody. So, um, very, very interesting um, position here moving forward for Dan Hooker. Now, like I said, we dove into that for a minute, so now we're going to move on. The next fight on the card was Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tabora. Now, I'm not going to go too in-depth in this one, but um, the one thing that we did learn here was that the thing the, the the thing I have talked about for a long time in this heavyweight division has been a clear cutoff at, at six, right? And you kind of got to earn your way into the top six. Those guys being Nganu, Gain, Miocic, Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov, Jerzy Strike. That's seven guys, but six in a rankings term because you got the champ there who um, is technically above the number one ranking. So, um, and you kind of have to earn your way into that status. And a lot of those guys who have taken on the names I have just listed, um, I listed seven names. Usually the only time they lose is when they're fighting someone who they have, um, fighting someone else in that name pool, right? When we bring someone else outside that top six ranking spot, typically they don't do so hot in there, right? Marcin Tabora was one of those guys who we were going to bring him in. Volkov has a high ranking. He's in that select group of heavyweights that has, is very talented. And um, But Volkov just edged out a victory here, went out there, got two clear rounds, and won the fight. <coughs> Excuse me. So credit to Volkov, but that leaves Volkov in um, a position here where he's probably going to take on someone else in that uh, top six. And... I think that should be Jarzinho Rosenstrike. I don't know why, but for the longest time, I have thought Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Alexander Volkov have fought. But I was looking today, and I don't think they have. I was looking at Volkov's um, tapology page, and I don't think they fought. I'm going to double-check it again, because I could have swore that Alexander Volkov and Jarzinho Rosenstrike fought, but um, I don't think they did. And I think that fight makes a lot of sense, right? Jarzinho Rosenstrike and... Um, Alexander Volkov have had, I don't want to say a bumpy road, but they've faced some setbacks. Jorginho loses, lost to Curtis Blades, Surreal Gan, Francis Ngannou. Alexander Volkov lost to Surreal Gan, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, right? So they've just faced a couple setbacks, really. Nothing too, nothing too damaging to, um, them, but, you know, enough to push them down in the rankings and and they both had to fight guys that were outside of that elite heavyweight level and now I think 
They both dipped down, took on some low-ranked guys, pair them up against each other. Loser has to go back down and fight one of those low-ranked guys. Winner gets to go up and, you know, maybe get a rematch with someone they lost. Um, kind of depends how everything turns out, but winner will be in a good position. Loser's got to kind of climb back up. That's the way fighting works, and I think that is a fight that makes a lot of sense. And then for Marcin Tabora, I think Tom Aspinall is the way to go here. Um, Tom has openly stated that, hey, I'll work my way up, right? I don't need to be shot up in the rankings. Um, I'll work my way up slowly. And Marcin Tabora was at 8 and tied at 8 with Shamil. But um, Tom Aspinall is at 11. Marcin is probably going to fall to 9 or 10. But, you know, that's not a big jump in the rankings, 11 to, you know, the 9 spot or the 10 spot, you know, for Tom Aspinall. So I think that fight makes a lot of sense. And um, that's a good way to slowly push Tom Aspinall up the rankings like he requested. So I think that fight makes a lot of sense for both guys. <coughs> now, one of the bigger fights on this card, Hazmat Chimaya versus Lee Jingliang. Now, this really um you know i was kind of teetering on the how's much my hype train you know recognize the talent but at the same time haven't seen uh, again you against a top level opponent <coughs> excuse me my apologies right and so now what are we doing for how's much my right um, they give him an opportunity against a big name. I don't want not a big name guy, a ranked opponent who is highly respected. Just knocked out Santiago Pandanibio. And Hazmat Chumayev went out there and dominated, right? It's as simple as that. He didn't absorb a strike. He went out there, found the rear naked choke, got the win. Um, Hazmat Chumayev did was similar to what Islam Makhlchev did, exactly what was expected, right? Hazmat Chumayev would be in a lot different of a situation if he went out there and got no got no war and etched out a decision, right? But he goes out there and dominates against a ranked high-level guy. So now the question is, how far do we move Hazmat Chumayev up in these rankings? And there's a lot of talented guys at 170, right? But how far does he move up, right? Right now, Li Jingliang's at 11. Right, so um, <clears throat> it's not going to be easy to match Hazmat Chimaev up with a top name guy. It's just not going to be. That is the nature of 170 pounds when you've got a tough guy. A lot of these guys don't want to fight the next up and coming fighter, right? Some guys will. Credit to Michael Chiesa, who's second on Sean Brady. Um, Credit to Neil Magny, who said he would fight Hazmat earlier. Credit to Leon Edwards, who was kind of forced into it. But um, the Colbys and the Masvidals aren't going to fight, you know, just anybody in these rankings. So Hazmat is, is in a really interesting spot where I think he should accept any name that is put in front of him, right? Because um, he's not going to get a lot of options here. <coughs> Jesus, but um, if you look at these rankings at one 170 pounds, you know, not a lot stands out. When you dominate the number 11 guy, you should move up, right? Is, is The question is, who is going to accept this fight? Um, if Colby loses this weekend, does he accept the fight with Hazmat Chumayev? I don't think he does. If Colby loses this weekend, he's going to be fighting um, Masvidal. Okay, that's pretty clear. <coughs> My bad, once again. Um, you know, um, does Burns accept that fight? I think Gilbert Burns might accept that fight. Gilbert Burns is probably the most likely to accept that fight but does the ufc want to push him all the way up to burns great question i don't know leanne edwards doesn't accept it again luke a gonna try and get the ds fight stephen thompson probably doesn't accept it 
so there's a lot of questions here. So Hobbs should pretty much just take whatever he can get at this point. And then we are running late here, right? We're already 40 minutes in. So we're going to skip Megaman Ankalev and Volkanovski here because we don't have time. And we're going to move right into the UFC 268 preview. But before we do that, there's going to be a nice little jump cut right here. Because before we get into that, I'm going to go get some water so you don't have to listen to me cough. So ignore the jump cut. And when we come back, we will be talking about UFC 268. All right, we are back, and we're done talking about UFC 267, and now it is time to move on to UFC 268. This is an actual pay-per-view, not just a numbered card. We've got another pay-per-view, and we've got a tremendous one here, right? Main event, Kamau Usman versus Colby Covington, and... Who do I have in this fight, you might be wondering. I've got Kamaru Usman. Now, I am high on Colby Covington, right? I think that Colby Covington is a much better fighter than many people give him credit. And with that being said, I think that Kamaru Usman is the best fighter in the world, pound for pound. So, Colby is in a situation where, in another timeline... He might be the 170-pound champ. But right now, we've got Kamar Usman. And I know the first fight was close, right? I know that's the closest fight Usman's had as champion. And the thing to know about that fight was Covington had success, and eventually Kamar Usman pushed forward and won. Um... Now, from what we've seen from these two guys since that fight, right? We've seen Colby Covington take on Tyron Woodley. And we've seen Kamaru Usman take on Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal twice. So, <clears throat> Kamaru Usman has showed so much improvement from a fight-to-fight basis. That we haven't seen from Colby. Now, has Colby been improving behind the scenes? Probably, right? But we don't know that for sure. But I can see the improvements that Kamaru Usman has made to his game. The The first fight with Colby and Usman was a lot, a lot of one-twos, a lot of body kicks, right? It was a lot of, you know, bang-bang, touch-touch. Um, really just two wrestlers throwing ones and twos, and seeing who can hit who more often, right? From what we've seen from Usman, he has developed the... First of all, first of all, actually, his jab has improved, right? So even if we see the same fight, the jab of Usman is going to be better. And we have seen him throw with a lot more behind his punches. That punch that he's landed to put out, Jorge Masvidal... He didn't throw a, a single punch with that type of intent the whole fight against Colby. Now, why is that? I'm not 100% sure. Is it because he didn't want to get taken down? I doubt it. Is it because, you know, he wasn't confident enough yet to throw that strike? Maybe. We're really never going to know why. But I think in this fight, we're going to see Kamar Usman come in with a lot more. He's, he's going to throw with a lot more intent behind his punches especially as the fight goes on. Early, it might be the same, bop, bop, one, two, bop, bop, one, two, body kick, one, two, body kick, one, two, um, from both guys, probably. But I think Usman is going to eventually pull ahead using his power, using his power in his jab, using his power in his two. Um, so I think Kamal Usman eventually gets it done, and I think he gets it done via finish. Let's go round three or four. Round three or four. We're going to go with three. Come on, Usman. Round three. KO. TKO. TKO. We're going to go TKO. Um, moving on. This is another fight that is very hard to predict. Rose Namajunas versus Wei Li Zhang. Now, when we're thinking about fights, right, usually in rematches, you, you've got a lot to go off of. Um, 
this is is really interesting because I don't think we have any more information about either of these two fighters than we did going into the first fight. We saw Rosalama Yunus land a head kick and put out Weili Zhang, right? And there's something about, um, for example, if you compare Usman versus Covington 1 and Nami Yunus versus Weili Zhang 1, um, there's a lot, you learned a lot more from Usman versus Covington 1 um, than you did in comparison to Nami Yunus versus Zhang. Um, if you look at, for example, Usman versus Masvidal, the first one, you learned a lot on from that fight going into the second fight that, hey, Usman can hold him up against the fence. What exactly did we learn from Nami Yunus versus Weili Zhang once? All we really learned was if Rose Nami Yunus kicks you in the head, you're going to be done so. Um, now, I think we could have made a reasonable assumption that that was the case before that fight ever started. Um, I think the most surprising thing about that fight was that Weili Zhang got knocked out, considering the war she was coming off with Ioana, and the the damage accumulated on both sides in that fight, and there, there was no finish. So I think the biggest thing we picked up was that um, Rose has the power to knock out Weili. Now, I am so up in the air on this one, and I, I even checked betting lines, and the the betting lines are also 50-50. Very close to even money with a slight edge on Rose Nami Yunus. And I think that is probably, you know, fair considering she won the last one. So in this one, who am I going to pick? I don't know. I think a toss-up is the perfect analysis of this. But I think that Rose Nami Yunus is going to come in here very confident. And I think... She's going to win this fight, and I think she's going to use the confidence um, of winning the last one to propel her forward to get another victory here. So that is my thought, but um, I'm very high on Weili Zhang. Weili is someone who, um, prior to this fight, that I was very, very, very high on, and I still think highly of her talent as a mixed martial artist. However, I think Rose um, proved a lot more in that fight, so I'm, I'm just going to lean with Rose here. But like I said, very high on Wei Li, and if she gets it done, I will not be surprised one bit. I do think either way, this fight is going to be closer than the last one. So I think this is going to go to decision, and I'm leaning Rose. Now, um, probably the wildest fight on the card, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. This fight... Um, is being billed as it's going to be madness, right? Um, we've seen Michael Chandler and we've seen Justin Gaethje get into wars over the years. Um, I think this is going to be a little bit more calculated. I think both guys are going to know what's at stake. Both guys are going to know that they're playing with fire. Um, so I think there might be a little bit more caution here. And I lean towards Justin Gaethje, okay? Um... The, the, what we've seen from Gaethje to be his downfall has been, um, a couple fights where he, you know, th threw too much, you know, he wasn't composed enough, you know, um, and then we saw him get out grappled by Habib. It, ha it happens. Now, Michael Chandler, on the other hand, we saw him get knocked out by Charles Oliveira and as perfect of a shot that Charles Oliveira landed, Justin Gage has got a lot more power than Oliveira, and he doesn't land, have to land that perfect to knock you out. Um, Pitbull knocked out Michael Chandler as well. So the chin concerns me of Michael Chandler, and I think Justin Gaethje is eventually going to hit home and land on that chin, similar to how he fought against Tony, where he landed a lot of shots against Tony. And... Um, in, in Chandler's defense, he has better defensive boxing than Tony. Um, hitting Michael Chandler is going to be harder than hitting Tony. But either way, I am still leaning towards Justin Gaethje, finding the chin of Michael Chandler and putting his lights out. And then after that, we have got Shane Burgos versus Billy Quintillo. Um 
this is another one that this will probably be the wildest fight of the night, right? These two guys have a tendency to get in scraps, and when you throw two guys out there who like to get in scraps against each other, usually ends in a scrap. Simple math here, simple math. Um, who's going to win? I lean Shane Burgos just off the experience of fighting uh, against some other very high-level guys. So I think the experience of Burgos is going to play into his favor in this one, and that's where I'm leaning. But I am a big Billy Q fan, and I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a way to get it done. Main card, we've got Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera. Um, I'm leaning towards Cheeto here. Now, I just don't know how Frankie is going to fight coming off uh, the knockout that he suffered. But there is a he could go out there and he could out grapple Cheeto Vera, um, and and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just not, um, I'm just worried about Frankie and his future in the UFC, and I think Marlon Vera gets it done in this one. <coughs> now moving forward, Alex Pereira. Is making his UFC debut. Um, if you don't know who that is, he knocked out Israel Adesanya in kickboxing, and now people um, are very high on him in MMA. I'll be honest here; I don't know a lot about um, the guy he's fighting. I really don't. Um, he's got two fights in the UFC. And he's got a unanimous decision victory, and he's got a win against Modestas Bous, or he's got a loss against Modestas Bouskis. So, um, I don't know. I don't know here. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I'll watch it, and and um, you know what? I'm gonna lean towards Pereira here. I think the UFC wants him to win, so I imagine they gave him an easy match, not an easy matchup, a favorable matchup, and I know he's a high-level um, kickboxer, so I'm going to lean towards Pereira. So, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. And then this fight is another one that I am very high on. Ally Quinto versus Bobby Green. And if you watch Bobby Green's last fight, you know not to miss Bobby Green fights. Make sure you're watching for this one. And we're seeing the return of Ally Quinto. Uh, a lot of question marks here. What are we going to get from Ally Quinto? Anytime someone takes as much time off as Ally Quinto has, you know, it really raises questions. Okay. He hasn't fought since 2019. Um, and, you know, in his last th four fights, he's got one win against Kevin Lee. Before that, he had a lot of wins stacked up. But, you know, coming off locks, losses to Hooker, Cerrone, win over Lee, um, lost to Habib. No shame there. We've already discussed that. So, what are we going to get from Ali Iaquinta? Who knows? going to have to wait and see. So... But I think Bobby Green is a very tough opponent to step in there after taking two years off. So I'm going to lean towards Bobby Green. And then we've got Edmund Shabazian versus Nazar, Nazardine Imavov. And I lean towards... I lean towards Nazarene... Imovov. Um, Edmund Shabazian hasn't shown his best stuff his last couple fights. And um, coming off two losses, uh, I just lean Nazardine Imovov. And um, I'm not exactly sold either way on this fight. But um, I hope Edmund Shabazzian wins because he's a very interesting fighter and I like watching him fight. So, um, but I'm just going to lean Imovov on this one. And then we're not going to go too in-depth on any of these other fights. 
Opening the night, however, is Ode Osborne. And if you've watched Ode fight, you know you don't miss Ode fight. Um, last loss was a flying knee to Manel Cop. Um, prior to that, he had a win against Jerome Rivera, where he did a nice little thing here where he, where he stopped the kick with his shoulder and then threw a cross. Very nice finish. He even fought Brian Kelleher who is a 145, no, he's a 135-pounder, but uh, he's a big one. Um, so don't miss this fight. Ode Osborne, opening fight of the night, opening prelim fight. Don't miss it. We've got Gian Vellante versus Chris Barnett. This should be a fun one. Um, don't miss that fight. And then the last one that sticks out to me in terms of prospects that are I really like, uh, Ian Gary. Uh, former Cage Warrior fighter. He had the belt in Cage Warriors. I believe this is, yep, this is his UFC debut. He's coming off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wins in Cage Warriors. So um, he's got some, and if you don't know what Cage Warriors is, Cage Warriors is a high level um, promotion out of England. Ian Gary is an Irishman. So um, I really like Ian Gary, really high on Ian Gary. Taking on Jordan Williams, who is a lot better than his nine and five record suggests, and um, you know he has fought some high level competition. He has fought Nazardine Imovov, who we just talked about in the 185 pound weight class. They're down at 170 now. His last fight was a loss against Mickey Gall. So Jordan Williams is, you know. Um, his 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 two most recent losses have have come to notable names, and I stuttered about fifteen times in that sentence. So when you stutter a lot in in one sentence, that means it's time to move on. So we're gonna move on from Jordan Williams and and Gary. And then there are a couple of other um notable guys here. We've got Bruno Souza versus Melzik Bazad. I'm not even going to try saying his name. I've had about enough of, of this episode. We're at about two hours probably. Nope, we're just we're just kicking up on uh, about 55 minutes. So it hasn't even been that long. It's felt like it's taken forever. But um, a couple other good names on the prelims here. We've got Phil Hawes. Don't know how it took me this long to bring up his name because uh, he's a good fighter to watch as well. But this um, this card has a lot of fun fights on it. And these fights are very meaningful. I mean, even if you look out title fights, obviously they don't get much more meaningful than that. But um, we've got a rivalry like Usman versus Covington. Imagine if Covington wins, that would be madness. Um, Rosanami Yunus versus Weili Jiang in the most competitive 115 uh, or in the most competitive division in women's MMA, the 115 pound division. You've got Gaethje versus Chandler. Um, that fight has massive title implications at 155 pounds. Um, Burgos versus Quarantillo is going to be a war. We got a legend in Frankie Edgar, Bobby Green, uh, the return of Ali Quinta, Cheeto Vera. There's a lot going on, so you don't, don't want to miss any of that. And you also don't want to miss the 47th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. This was the 46th episode. Next week is obviously going to be episode 47 because that's how counting works we go up one every time and we're going to be talking about this card we're going to be talking about ufc 268 we're going to talk about all the meaningful fights all the impressive fights all the things that stood out to me and um, we're going to talk about the future of these guys what happened and we will even do another preview like we always do if you've watched enough, you know exactly where this is going. Afterwards, we're going to talk about the upcoming fight card of Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. And we will touch on any other news that is out there. We've had, uh, last this week was a light news week. We didn't even talk about anything in terms of news. So um, I imagine that this week is going to be a heavy news week because that's usually what happens. If not, one of these weeks coming up, there's going to be 150 fights that drop because that's usually how it goes so if you didn't get the message make sure you tune in next week make sure you subscribe to the head kakao podcast make sure you follow me on tiktok and twitter as well where last week i said hey we're gonna bump up 
the posting on those two platforms. And did I do it? Mm, not really, but hey, hey, that's my bad. That's on me. And I recognize that. So we will do better. We will get some TikToks posted. I've got some ideas. It's just a matter of doing them. Um, so make sure you go follow on those other social media platforms. And um, <clears throat> one last cough, because apparently that is going to be the theme of this episode. Um, but thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. That is all I've got for this week. Make sure you tune in next week. Goodbye.